every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Agit Unexplained Series 3. In tonight's episode, we will be looking at four stories of the strange, mysterious blobs and the one encounter that inspired the 1958 movie, The Blob. If you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing, or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. As always, we would like to remind the listener that within this podcast are unsettling descriptions, and you should be cautious if you find such things distressing. Also, with every story there are victims, so please spare a thought for those who have suffered. One of the main problems of this type of mystery is that it seems to defy classification. Are the strange blobs a type of organic craft? Are they alien in origin, strange astrological waste, or an undiscovered unearthly cryptid, or something ancient from our own planet? These mysterious and bizarre blobs have been reported for many years and have inspired just as many stories in film, comics, and novels. The Blob Dave! Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen? What happened? It's over at his place. you got to come now. Oh, wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed the Doc. Well, what was it? What happened with it, kid? Well, it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. It... It was 1957 when the head of visual aids for the Boy Scouts of America, Irvin H. Milgate, was tasked by his close friend and movie producer, Jack H. Harris, to envision a concept that Harris could, in turn, evolve into a feature film. It appeared that the classic movie monsters had had their day. The likes of Dracula, Frankenstein and the Mummy had given way to the new up-and-coming horrors of the silver screen, aliens, UFOs, 
and byproducts of the atomic age. The film market was beginning to get saturated with this genre of film, so the task that Harris had set Milgate was going to be difficult at best. Harris is quoted as saying that it's got to be a monster movie. It's got to be in colour instead of black and white. It can't be a cheapy creepy. It's got to have some substance to it. It's got to have characters you can believe in and there's got to be a unique monster. Never been done before. And the method of killing the monster would have to be something that Grandma could have cooked up on her stove. Milgate was initially daunted by the prospect, but was eventually reminded of an event that took place seven years previously. Milgate had read of a strange encounter of a purple blob that had descended from the sky and was witnessed by police in Pennsylvania. This recollection had started the cogs in Milgate's mind turning, and he started to pen the 1958 classic movie, The Blob. But what really happened to the police officers in Pennsylvania in September 1950? Pennsylvania 1950 In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in September of 1950, two patrolling police officers whilst on duty witnessed a strange object plunging from the night sky. Little were they to know that this would be the start of a very strange story. A different set of police officers Joe Keenan and John Collins were on patrol the next evening and were doing their rounds in their patrol car. The two men rounded a corner and turned down a side street between Vare Avenue and 26th Street. Evening had now taken hold of the night and it was not long after they arrived down this side street that their headlights managed to catch a glimpse of a large glittering globular mass that appeared to be sparkling in the beam of their headlights. At first glance, the blobs seemed to be drifting towards an open field that was in the vicinity. As the two officers drove in cautiously for a closer look, the blob began not just to move, but to crawl. Keenan and Collins, obviously aware that what they were looking at was out of the ordinary, exited their vehicle armed with their flashlights and hand weapons and started to speed towards the mass. Both gentlemen described the mass in the same way, using evocative descriptions such as purple jelly, globular and oozing. The mass was about six feet across and one foot thick at its centre. The edges of this glob as Frank Edwards christened it in his book Strange Worlds, sloped down from its peak top and tapered to a lip that was a couple of inches thick. One of the more perplexing aspects of this strange blob was that when the officers turned off their flashlights, the mass emitted a faint, purplish, perhaps bioluminescent, dancing glow that illuminated the field 
that it was fast approaching. Other noticeable characteristics were that the gelatinous thing seemed to vibrate of its own accord, and was even reported to have been seen glowing and oozing its way up and hanging off a corner telephone pole. Both men stared in wonder at this shapeless thing, and both deduced that if this object was capable of free movement, that it must qualify as a living, breathing creature. Keenan and Collins were joined at this strange sight by patrolman James Cooper and Sergeant Joe Cook, who both witnessed the same characteristics. After further investigation and conferring, Cook and the team decided that this gooey mass looked solid enough to actually pick up and carry. We can only assume that this endeavour was to take it somewhere for its own safety or testing. The four officers encircled the mass in a way that would ensure the best results in weight distribution and began to heave up this enigmatic, shapeless blob. To everyone's surprise, on contact with the men, the strange glob started to dissolve and break up instantly. Tiny pieces of the creature remained attached to the hands and digits of the officers. But as swiftly as it started, these chunks evaporated, leaving only a residue of odorless scum on their skin. The officers failed to take a sample of this strange blob. Perhaps this was because of their sheer astonishment or lack of training in this field. The two main officers, Keenan and Collins, always maintained that this blob was most definitely a living creature and would publicly say so to many news crews that descended on them after the event. From the initial discovery to the eventual dissolving of the mass, only half an hour passed. Milgate decided that the story of the police officers and the blob would be a great starting point for his creature feature. He would, of course, take the benign blob and turn it into a pulsing, fearful blob of all-consuming hate and really try to drive home the alien aspect of the creature. The film was always intended to be a creature feature that leaned on the cheaper side of production that would possibly, if they were lucky, break even at the box office. But they instead became responsible for one of the most original monsters in Hollywood, and a creature that has stood the test of time, in part, mainly due to its uniqueness. But the incident in Pennsylvania in 1950 is by no means unique, as we will find out as we look at a Swedish encounter from 1958. Sweden, 1958.
On December the 20th, 1958, two individuals by the names of Hans Gustafsson, 25, and his friend Stig Rydberg, aged 30, were making a drive that they had done previously from Hagenas to Heisenberg in Sweden. Their destination was the home of Anna Bergeren, Gustafsson's mother, and on the following night it was their intention to go into town. The pair were travelling along Route 45 in the early morning hours as a fog slowly descended upon the DKW combi vehicle they were traversing in. The fog had shrouded the road and had forced them to reduce speed to barely a crawl. It was now approximately 3 o'clock a.m. and the pair finally decided that their speed was getting them nowhere so they decided to pull their vehicle over in an isolated area on the route. The area ran along the Strait of Oresund, near the village of Domsten. Since the duo were going nowhere, they decided that they needed to stretch their legs and possibly go to the toilet. Hans and Stig slowly became aware of a strange ethereal glow that seemed to emanate from within the shroud of the fog. Initially, the diffusing effects of the fog made it difficult to exactly pinpoint how big or how far away this glow was. The duo decided to walk into the fog so they could locate the source of this strange light. The pair had walked for approximately 150 feet into this sheet of opaque, dense mist. And just before they came to the source of the light, Rydberg and Gustafsson stopped next to a sign that had been put there by officials which prohibited camping in the area. As Rydberg and Gustafsson looked deep into the veil, they began to see the shocking object that was the source of light. It was a wide, discoid object that was estimated to be 3 foot high and 15 foot wide. The craft was supported on a tripod perch on the forest bed. The craft cast a glow of ever-changing, ebbing colours. No sooner had the pair witnessed this fantastical image did they notice that they had now been surrounded by a collection of strange objects. These objects were around three foot in length and were pulsing and undulating in a living manner. They were limbless, faceless, amorphous blobs that they described as animated jelly. The blobs were levitating over the ground and began to progressively rush towards them in a hostile manner and swarmed over them. Gustafsson and Rydberg claimed that the blobs were like protozoa and were of a bluish colour as they started to engulf the duo's bodies and limbs within their own tough, jelly-like bodies. It became obvious to Hans and Stig that the creatures were pulling the pair back towards their glowing disc. The creatures were also described as foul-smelling, a smell not unlike burnt sausage. The pair struggled and fought with these surprisingly strong, 
gelatinous creatures. As they felt their bodies being dragged backwards, they fought with a flurry of fists and legs until Rydberg finally managed to break free from the horrors and made a run for it back to their car. As he looked over his shoulder, he could see that two of the creatures were hot on his heels. Gustafsson was filled with utter fear as he noticed that he was approaching the glowing craft. The jelly creatures had lifted his body horizontal. Rydberg managed to reach the car, opened the door and sounded the vehicle's horn. He had run out of options and hoped that this sound would alert other drivers to their location. The piercing sound that came out of the car horn seemed to affect the blobs as they let go of Gustafsson and the ones in pursuit of Rydberg turned tail and rejoined the rest of the group. The shapeless fiends then gathered around at the base of the craft and retreated within. Gustafsson got to his feet and ran for their car. Gustafsson would later state that he turned back just in time to see the glowing craft launch itself skyward with a high-pitched whistling sound. The shapeless blobs left behind no trace, apart from the disgusting burnt sausage smell and the cuts and bruises that remained on Hans Gustafsson and Stig Reitberg. The pair would initially keep the story to themselves, but the strangeness, unresolved questions and symptoms of trauma would lead them to go public with their experiences although we only have their word for the authenticity of this tale, and it has been suggested that the whole thing was a hoax perpetrated by the pair and assisted in by a friend. If it's not a hoax, then the world got a little stranger that day in 1958, when jelly-like aliens tried to kidnap two humans in Sweden. But these two stories are by no means the only ones out there. The Kinderhook Events From New York, The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson. Johnny's guest tonight is John Crawford. These stories come from a small town in the state of New York called Kinderhook. It is believed that the term Kinderhook is a translation of Children's Hook or Children's Corner from the original Dutch spoken by the initial settlers. The year is 1962. Marilyn Monroe dies aged 36. The Cuban Missile Crisis is in full swing and Johnny Carson takes over hosting duties on The Tonight Show. Amidst this, a small 10-year-old boy named Bruce Hallenbeck and his cousin were out playing in the nearby woods. When suddenly... They were abruptly startled into shock at the sound of an intensely high-pitched whistling noise that seemed to penetrate their very heads. Although startled, the two boys proceeded to look around the woods in pursuit of the source 
of the strange enigmatic sound. The strange reverberating qualities of this sound made it difficult to initially pinpoint its location. Hallenbeck stated in a book he wrote in 1992 that he saw a white object peering at me from behind a nearby pine tree. He further explained that although it had no facial features to speak of, he got the succinct impression that he was being watched or in fact spied on by this white blob. Upon seeing this, the two boys fled the scene and ran all the way back to Hallenbeck's parents' home. There was another possible encounter of the same strange white blob that occurred in 1964. There is very little beyond anecdotal evidence for this tale, so please bear this in mind. It is claimed that a gentleman was hiking within the same area that Hallenbeck claimed to have been in when he noticed a large white blob floating down a hill, coming right towards him. This hulking shape was progressing towards him at such a pace that the hiker jumped over a six-foot-wide pond in order to escape this unknown creature. Sometime later, the frightened man returned to the scene of the incident. This time, his friend and he were armed with a shovel and a pitchfork. The two men traipsed through the forest looking for the creature, and before too long, they had their wish granted. It is stated that the friend looked out into the clustered trees and froze in sheer terror. His shocked, still form slowly and purposefully lifted a single arm and with a pointed finger indicated a direction behind the hiker. The white form of the creature could clearly be seen hovering through the trees. Its shape defied the laws of gravity as it gracefully floated amongst the higher branches and descended down to their level. The two men felt the courage and aggression that they had once possessed leave their bodies as they instantly turned tail and fled away into the woods, leaving their makeshift weapons behind. The mysterious white blob would not be encountered again for another 14 years, in 1978. This time, two 14-year-old campers, Barry Scott and Russell Lee, were spending a pleasant time together, and in the early evening they saw what they could only describe as a white hovering being. The description that they gave was identical to the blobs seen by both Hallenbeck, the hiker, and his friend. The boys described the creature as looking more like a ghost than an amorphous blob, and that it floated rather than walked. Barry stated that the creature's appearance was bell-shaped, whereas Russell stated that it looked more like the Virgin Mary with flowing white robes. The two frightened boys continued to watch until the creature moved further into the woods. With all of these stories, we find that there is a surprising lack of evidence, as by its very nature, these encounters occur in quiet places with very few people or activity. 
The Pennsylvania case is probably the most reliable when it comes to authenticity. And even then, it could be a case of pudrasia, or star jelly, which is described as a jelly-like substance on grass or even on branches of trees. According to folklore, this substance is usually left behind after meteor showers. In the publication, The Book of British Amphibians and Reptiles, it is stated that star jelly is most likely formed from the glands of the oviducts of frogs and toads. Birds and other mammals will eat the animals, but not the oviducts, which, when they come into contact with moisture, swell and distort, leaving a vast pile of jelly-like substance, which is also referred to as otter jelly. But again, without samples of the blobs, it is unknown if this is actually what it is. Also, the star jelly hypothesis does not explain how the blobs seemingly move of their own volition. It seems that time and missed opportunities have forced these mysteries into the as-yet-unexplained category, at least until we manage to get some tangible evidence that can explain their origin, makeup and intent. Links to our Facebook page and email address are in our bio, so feel free to get in touch and tell us how we are doing, and even suggest future episodes that we can cover. Next week, we will be looking at the mysterious tale of the Hopkinsville Encounter. Thanks for listening. If you are listening to this message, then the subliminal frequency has successfully calibrated to your mind. Do not be alarmed. I am here to advise you to explore the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is both a written series as well as a podcast. It explores various locations where paranormal and supernatural events have occurred. It is a broadcast on a forgotten frequency. Hauntings, Time slips, cryptids, cults, and more are investigated and examined. Enter a world designed by torch and moonlight. Go to occultariaofalbion.com or search Occultaria of Albion wherever you find your favourite podcasts. End transmission. <laughs>